stay away What's that? Hand off his box, the box of chocolates Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe That means I have half a mind to stay it's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good evening. This is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture every Thursday at 6:30. Today we're going to look at the forgotten Italian tradition of building monumental food palaces and then tearing them apart so people can eat what's in them. That doesn't happen enough in Ann Arbor, does it? Actually, it's it's a somewhat dubious tradition that is no longer and, and we'll explain why in just a little bit. In the meantime, we're going to hear a song here that is of a similar theme. This is a more benign version of what we're going to hear about later. This Actually, it's all kind of weird, but this is this is Eating Competition. This is by Andy Narrell and Relator from the album University of Calypso, this being a university town, very appropriate. Eating Competition. Get ready. was a eating competition that took place quite up in Scotland. It was this eating competition that took place quite up in Scotland. People from all about enter, including a Obia man from in Maruga. They gave the prize to one Mr. Torn. I never see a man eat so since a ball. He eat nine bowls of cuckoo, ten bunch of fig, a whole bag of rice and a half a pig. Sixty slices of dashi and fourteen pounds of meat And stretching his hand for more food to eat About two hundred contestants Enter in this competition But when Mr. Torn start to eat the contestants and them catch cold feet. They start to drop out one by one. The Obia man jump up and mention to eat with this man we lose already. Is a spirit he have inside his belly. He eat 18 ponga edos, 19 pongs of yam, six roast bread fruit and bought 12 boiled ham, grapefruit juice and all. He drink 12 big mug. If you see how this man eating like a hog. Wanted to compete when I see so much food they to eat. Mr. Torn was too hard to beat, so I decided was to retreat. He showed the judges that he was able. He eat everything on top the table. He even eat what the people left over and still drink a whole bucket of ice water. He eat. 200 mangoes, 90 fried chicken He eat all the bones, the seed and the skin He drag off his old hat and wipe his face Telling the people look I hate to see good food waste Believe me friends that same evening they have to stop this man from eating. The 
announce him as the winner As number one champion eater The judges rarely acted wise They even gave him the consolation prize But then they asked him how his stomach feeling He tell them that he now feel like eating 60 slices of fried fish, 18 bowl of peas 10 quarter bread, 90 pounds of cheese 6 big sponge cake, 4,000 beef pie And up to now this man still is satisfied I'm full already. What are we going to do for the? What are we going to do for the rest of the show now? That was "Eating Competition" by Andy Narrell and Relator. Relator being the reggae singer and Andy Narrell being the steel drum player. So here's the thing: there is a tradition. I think it's called cocaine or cocaine, and not cocaine like cocaine, but cocaine. C o c k a i g n e. I was reading about this on Facebook. A friend posted it to a friend. There was a GIF, not a GIF, just a meme. And it said, in medieval times, Cocagne was an imaginary utopia for peasants where the sky rains cheese and laziness was treasured above all else. It was meant to be a better place than the alcohol-free Christian heaven, which only had fruit. I'll tell you. Well, says Wikipedia, Similar, it's a land of plenty in medieval myth, an imaginary place of extreme luxury and ease, where physical comforts and pleasures are always immediately at hand and where the harshness of medieval peasant life doesn't exist. Specifically in poems like the land of Calcania, I'm going to say Calcania and see what happens. Calcania is a land of contraries, where all the, res- where all the restrictions of society are defied. Abbots beaten by their monks, for instance— Oh, boy. Sexual liberty is open. Uh, I'm not going to read that one. And food is plentiful. Skies that rain cheeses. Writing about Cocagna was a commonplace of Goliard verse. I am reading these things without preparing, so I'm saying words that I don't know. While the first recorded uses of the word are Latin and Middle English versions, one line of reasoning has the name tracing to Middle French, ultimately adapted or derived from a word for a small sweet cake sold to children at a fair. In Ireland, it was mentioned in the Kildare poems, composed circa 1350. In Italian, the same place is called Paese della Cucagna. The Flemish Belgian equivalent is Lulliekerland, which is to say relaxed, luscious, delicious land. Hey, let's all go to relaxed, luscious, delicious land. What do you think? Translated from a Middle Belgian word, and there is a German word. In Spain, there's a place... Uh, in Sweden, uh, from Swedish dialect, lubber, a fat, lazy fellow, comes lubber band, lubberland. I'm, I'm so lazy, I can't even read. Popularized in the ballad, an invitation to lubberland, which I think we're going to have to read one of these days. In 1820, the 1820s, the name Cocagne came to be applied jocularly in London, this is good, as the land of Cockneys though the two are not linguistically connected otherwise. There are Dutch villages that are named after Cocagne. 
It's just everywhere in Europe, this land of plenty for people who don't have anything, don't have the food they need, but can go to this special place. This brought to mind a song. Guess what? The Big Rock Candy Mountain? Yeah. It was first recorded by Harry McClintock in 1928. It's a folk song about a hobo's idea of paradise. A modern version of the medieval concept of Kokanya says Wikipedia, so there you go, it's all connected. It's a place where hens lay soft-boiled eggs, and there are cigarette trees. McClintock claimed to have written the song in 1895, based on tales from his youth hoboing through the United States. But some believe that the le at least aspects of the song have, ex have existed for far longer, it is cataloged as Roud Folk Song Index number 6696. Let's take a listen to Pete Seeger's version, because you may have heard, perhaps if you didn't know, there is, there is a version with cigarette trees, and I think rum flows through the rivers or some such thing. There's also a sanitized version for kids. Let's find out what version we're going to hear next. This is going to be, if I understand correctly, Pete Seeger doing Big Rock Candy Mountain. Pete Seeger from a collection called America's Favorite Ballads. Let's see whether this is for kids or not. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fires were burning, down the track came a hobo hiking. He said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm heading for a land that's far away beside that crystal fountain. I'll see you all this coming fall in the big rock candy mountains. In the Big Rock Candy Mountains It's a land that's fair and bright The handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night The boxcars all are empty The sun shines every day I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow Where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow In the Big Rock Candy Mountains Oh, the... Buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountain In the big rock candy mountains You never change your socks Little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks Oh, the shacks all have to tip their hats The railroad bulls are blind there's a lake of stew and ginger ale too You can paddle all around it in a big canoe In the big rock candy mountains Oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains The cops have wooden legs the bulldogs all have rubber teeth and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs. The boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day. I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow. In the big rock candy mountains, oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees by the soda water fountain. By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountain. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. You can slip right out again as soon as they put you in. There ain't no short handle shovels, no axes, saws, nor picks. 
I'm bound to stay where you sleep all day Where they hung the jerk that invented work In the big rock candy mountain over Buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountain Thank you, Mr. Pete Seeger. Mr. Pete Seeger and the Big Rock Candy Mountain looks like that was the unexpurgated version with the cigarette trees. And I didn't wasn't able to keep track as to whether he was talking about little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks. But as you can see, some of those lyrics in the song are very charming for kids and stuff. You know, we have uh, delicious, delicious things that kids can have. The farmer's trees are full of fruit. The barns are full of hay. The hens lay soft-boiled eggs. Very practical. All of those things. A lake of stew and whiskey, too. That's not really the kids' version, but I yes, there is a kids' version, a nice sanitized kids' version, which changes some of the lyrics around. Instead of peppermint tree, instead of, I just gave it away, instead of cigarette trees, it becomes the buzzing of the bees and the peppermint trees. And instead of liquor going down the rocks, a little streams of lemonade come trickling down the rocks. Some critics would say, oh, but you just mentioned lemonade springs in the chorus, so why be redundant and mention lemonade trickling down the rocks later? Well, because strings, springs go down the rocks, and it's this, it's one large ecosystem. There's waterways and there's lemonade ways, and so it all makes perfect ecological sense, I think. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I'm still Mike. It's almost a quarter to seven. Arwolf has kindly helped me find some music here uh, to do with beer and to do with polka. I was looking for a song called In Heaven There Is No Beer, although we I did not find that, but we got a really tasty one instead, so that would be quite delicious. In Heaven There Is No Beer, that's why we have to drink it here. I believe uh, that's what they say in that song. I think so. But um, we're going to talk a little about that Kukanya festival in just a moment, as a matter of fact. But Big Rock Candy Mountain, performed by many people. Harry Dean Stanton sang a version in his role as Roman Grant in the HBO series Big Love. So, boy, Harry Dean Stanton singing Big Rock Candy Martin could be exciting. A punk band from London did a version. They were called The Restarts. And the Okie Dokie Boys recorded a more friendly, family, family-friendly version of the song, replacing references to alcohol and whiskey with chocolate and marmalade and others. Now, this Kokanye Festival is quite interesting, and we're going to take a moment to look at an article on that. It's a very interesting story about the forgotten Italian tradition of building monumental food palaces. Now, there's this place in heaven, thought the medieval folks, where you can get all the food you want. So why not create something like that on Earth? Says here, according to Ann Eubank, they would create these monumental food palaces and destroy them in a literal Hunger Games. In 1768, Austrian princess Maria Carolina married Ferdinand IV, the king of Naples. To celebrate, they had a magnificent fake fortress built in front of the Neapolitan royal palace and decorated with delicious food. At a signal from the king, a mob of Neapolitan commoners waded through a moat stocked with live fish, slipped through the mud, and grabbed all the food to the delight of the noble spectators. Oh, oh, oh. This event was a tradition of Naples and other Italian cities because nothing caps off a royal wedding or holiday like watching hungry people fight for food. 
Temporary temples, pyramids, castles were plastered in roasts, bread, and cheese, which the poor risked their lives to gather. These Cucagna festivals, as they say in the Italian, represented an earthly paradise, an earthly paradise where no one went hungry. One 14th century poem described rivers of milk and honey in the heavenly area. Unpleasant reminders of life, such as bad weather or fleas, didn't exist, this common theme. Cocagna festivals brought the dream world of Cocagna to life, but instead of paradise, they were demonstrations of wealth and power that often descended into brutality, which is kind of sounding beside the whole point. Creating a real-life Cocagna meant displaying massive quantities of fruit, cheese, meat, and bread in beautiful configurations, according to Marsha Reed, the chief curator at the Getty Research Institute. But not all of the bounty was dead. Reed says that Cucagna also featured hunts of live pigs, bulls, and birds. In 1716, Bologna, which is a food reference, had a Cucagna-inspired feast of the roasted pig. Men with spears pursued loose bulls while commoners climbed cucagna trees in the gardens. Cucagna trees. Now that's unlike peppermint trees or cigarette trees, is it? This is this is the this is the rub though. The trunks were covered in grease, so only the most nimble could pluck the whole live birds tied or nailed to the branches. Oh, those royals and their funny, funny habits. The most elaborate Cocagna festivals were always in Naples. The first displays were more like parade floats, but by the 18th century they were stationary. For the name day of Holy Roman Empress Elizabeth Christina, a massive stage-like Cocagna was built in 1722. Statues of gods and angels adorned each plinth, but a closer look reveals an unusual embellishment. Strutting, studding every wall and column, as Reed describes in edible monuments, were breads, pastries, swags of fruit, and vegetables, livestock, and fowl. They were so popular that they were used to celebrate everything from saints' days to royal birthdays. Nobility usually sponsored the monuments, and local craftsmen and farmers set up the edible embellishments. Occasionally, there were fireworks. In 1747, a cucagna for the birth of Prince Philip, son of Charles VII, King of Naples, featured a fabulous building on a hill in front of the royal palace. The building's balustrades and the paths up to the hill were all made of cheese, cows, and goats roamed about, and fountains burbled with wine. Two greased cucagna trees, those blasted trees again, which look more like poles, have suits of fine clothing attached to the top. Surrounding the vision of perfection, the poor wretches of the Neapolitan streets, as Reed describes them, sprint towards the vision of food and plenty. Many hungry people got their hands on food, and it may have been for the best for some people, but there were problems. Stampeding citizens crushed each other and fought over the food. One Neapolitan king, Charles III, set up a fund for widows of Cucagna casualties. This is getting worse. Even the infamous Marquis de Sade was horrified by the Neapolitan Cocagna he witnessed in 1776, calling it a display of barbarity and chaos. The Princess Maria Carolina reportedly expressed horror when she saw live animals being torn apart at her wedding Cocagna. The philosophy was always excess. The author Reed we were speaking of earlier points to the Macy's Day Parade and says it's still about a giant turkey floating about, but we don't tear it apart. We don't rip it to shreds. So it's a little bit more civilized. 
quite a shame to treat the poor like that. Some of them got food, some of them got in trouble, some of them got injured. Nonetheless, take, let's take a moment to break from this cacophonous Kukanya setting and listen to some beer. Want to hear some beer? I'd like to hear some beer. This is from the Royale Polka Players. This is the Beer Stein Polka, and it goes a little something like this. And there you have it, folks. I was not planning ahead enough to find for you in heaven there is no beer, but just imagine the song in heaven there is no beer in your head, and I will try to find it in the weeks to come. Speaking of the weeks to come, WCBN has something very exciting happening. We only do this once a year. It's the best party ever. It's the WCBN fundraiser. Once a year, we ask you for your support to support this supporting, supporting, supporting. What are we, where are we going with this? We ask you to support the radio you love. That's pretty much what I'm trying to say. It starts on Friday, February 9th. Give us a call at that time. Pledge to us at that time. We will play you songs like you've never heard before. We will 
do incredible stunts like you've never seen before on the radio. Lots of things are going to happen starting February 9th on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. If you think times were weird in the medieval days and creating big foam monuments and tearing them apart was weird, how about the present? This from the Associated Press. Tyson Foods, Inc. has invested in a food tech startup that's developing methods to produce meat directly from animal cells. The Arkansas-based company announced Monday that its venture capital arm, Tyson Ventures, now has a minority stake in Memphis Meats. The terms of the deal haven't been disclosed, but Memphis Meats says it expects to use the funds to accelerate product development. Tyson says the investment reflects the company's commitment to get to the point. Memphis Meats is based in the San Francisco Bay Area. The company's developing methods to produce meat from animal cells, which would eliminate the need to breed or slaughter animals. So that is more humane and strange, nonetheless. Meanwhile, for no particular reason, I got uh, I heard this on YouTube from from our two o'clock cowboy. I believe it was. I believe it was him who found this. And, uh, nope, never mind. Never mind, I said that. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I've been Mike for a while. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox, and I was going to play you an amplified cactus, but not right now. Around the time I play you the song about in heaven there is no beer, I will also bring you the amplified cactus, and I will speak more coherently, I promise. Let's go out with another song about food in heaven or heaven brought to your food, one or the other, or both, or either. Here is BR549 with a beautiful song called Let Jesus Make You Breakfast. Enjoy your breakfast. Have fun. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Our world is next with a show about nothing. Well, I woke up from a nightmare and I couldn't speak. Cause the devil slipped a Mickey in my bedstand drink. Then Jesus made me breakfast with his fresh white shelters on. Well, I ain't got the money to go to town. The cupboard, it was empty before he came around. Then Jesus made me breakfast with his fresh white shelters on. Well, there ain't no sun shining down on me My stomach's full of nothing but conspiracy I can't get nobody to tell me the truth What's a hungry fella to do? Well, you can canonize the devil, crucify a saint But you can't replace your half and half with coffee, mate let Jesus make you breakfast with his fresh white shelters on.
never cease to amaze me. <clears throat> Let Jesus Make You Breakfast, yes, from the BR549, their album Dog Days. Oh, my goodness. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's almost 7 o'clock. It's student-run radio at the University of Michigan, and people like Mike and myself and other vintage specimens of humanity continue to interact with students here to show them just how marvelously complex the human genome really is. You know what I mean? It's just extraordinary. And with this in mind, well, first I need to tell you, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. That's the official way to refer to this radio station. We're licensed to the Regents of the University of Michigan, and the frequency is 88.3, FM, and we're online at wcbn.org. And in about a week, we're going to be starting our annual on-air fund drive, so you'll know what to do then. Actually, you can donate any time at wcbn.org, but it's really fun if people call in during the uh, fundraiser. That'll actually start a week from tomorrow, so you're not going to have me asking you to ring the phone for a couple weeks yet. But I just thought I'd bring that up. Anyway, in light of the extraordinary complexity of life as we think we know it, I thought it would be nice to give you an entire program tonight about nothing. Everything that we're hearing tonight is about nothing. We're going to begin with a piano solo cut in 19... Uh, I should have recorded a recording cut in 1958, probably taped by then, by Mr. Lucky Roberts. That's Charles Luckieth Roberts, a contemporary of Willie the Lion Smith and James P. Johnson, and one of the, uh, the many mentors of Thomas Fats Waller. When Lucky made it into the recording studio, and this did not happen anywhere near often enough in his life, It's very frustrating because he is such a brilliant musician, as you're about to hear, if I'll stop talking. When he made this recording in 1958, he chose to open his segment of an album that he shared with Willie the Lion Smith with, I think, one of the most astonishing displays of piano virtuosity that I've ever heard, and he called it Nothing. Thank you. 
Thank you.